This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. I'm going to start out talking about big government is weighing on growth. You know, at the end of this month, we're going to get our first look at real GDP growth for the third quarter. It looks like it was probably very strong. We'll have a more exact estimate a week or so from now, after this week's reports on retail sales, industrial production, and home building. But it looks like the economy grew at about 4.5% annual rate. If that turns out right, however, the underlying pace of growth is much slower than what happened in the third quarter. From the end of 2019 through the third quarter, the average rate of growth would be 1.9%. From the end of 2007, right before the Great Recession and financial panic, through the third quarter, the average growth rate would be 1.8%. Both these figures pale in comparison to the growth in the 80s and 90s. Raising the long-term growth rate of the U.S. economy ought to be a key focus of policymakers. Unfortunately, we seem to be moving in the opposite direction with the government expanding, which means more redistribution. According to the Congressional Budget Office, federal spending should total $6.131 trillion in the fiscal year that ended on September 30th. But that includes the effects of the Supreme Court striking down much of President Biden's plan to forgive student loans. That decision created $333 billion negative outlay for the fiscal year 23. Without that decision, which didn't affect the government's cash flow, total federal spending would have been $6.464 trillion. We estimate that would translate into a 24% of GDP in a year when the jobless rate averaged 3.6%. Let's put that in historical perspective. In fiscal year 2019, the last year prior to COVID, the jobless rate averaged 3.7%. Federal spending was 21% of GDP. Back in 2000, at the peak of the first internet boom, federal spending was 17.7% of GDP. Some of this increase is due to higher interest costs, but most of it is not, and the trend is not good. In turn, this reminds us of one of our fundamental ways of thinking about the economy. Let's talk about it. Let's think about this. Imagine 10 people stranded on an island, living in subsistence, each person using a spear or even her hands to catch two fish each day, barely surviving. Then two of them decide to risk it all and build a boat. They go out one day and bring home 20 fish. Hallelujah, enough to feed everyone. With this bounty, the others use their talents to find easier ways to get two fish. Some of them climb the trees, bring down coconuts, and trade for fish. Others build fires to cook the fish just right. Others build better huts, and so on and so forth. In other words, the innovation of making that boat and the net didn't just help those original two, it helped everyone. Life is better. But one of the islanders isn't happy. He watches all the trading and realizes that the two owners of the boat and the net who took the big risk are better off than the rest. It wasn't like it was before when all everyone had was two fish per day, barely eking out survival, but at least they were equal. Well, the unhappy islander, let's call him Cerny Benders, comes with a plan to bring equity to the island. 
he gets them to impose an 80% tax on the rich boat net makers. That way, when the boaters bring in the haul of 20 fish, the rest of them get fair share of 16 or two fish per person, eight other people with no extra work. Now, common sense tells us what happens next. The inventors have little incentive to maintain or repair the boat or fix the net. Why waste your time and take a risk when the rest of the islanders are just going to seize their extra value you've created? In the end, the islanders are eventually back to where they started, or maybe worse, because they now have forgotten how to fish. The U.S. isn't at 80% yet, but federal, state, and local spending are already roughly 42% of GDP. If we don't get spending under control, tax rates will eventually go much higher. Bigger government means less innovation, less investment in maintenance of capital, and less economic growth. Those two fishermen, I don't know, you know, think about it. Okay, let's look at our global roundup for the week. And we're seeing that rates rise. The risk of wider war undermines equities as a whole. Global equities were lower on the week amid higher bond yields, unease over the potential widening of the war between Israel and Hamas, and the yield on the U.S. 10-year note flirted with 5% this week, reaching its highest level since 2006. The price of barrel West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil gained $4 on the week, rising to $90.20. And while volatility, as measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, rose to 20 dollars from 19.3. Global macro news. Cautious Powell suggests the Fed can wait. U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell delivered a speech at the Economic Club of New York on Thursday and participated in a discussion with Bloomberg's David Weston. Powell said that given the uncertainties and the risks of the economy face that how much tightening has been done already, the Fed will proceed carefully suggesting policymakers are in no hurry to tighten policy further. Like many of his colleagues, Powell acknowledged that the recent surge in bond yields could require the Fed to do less. Geopolitical tensions are highly elevated, he said, and pose important risks to global economic activity. However, additional evidence of strong economic growth could merit additional rate hikes, the chair said, keeping all options on the table. Powell noted that monetary policy isn't too tight right now. The odds of an additional rate hike in the coming three meetings declined after Powell's comments, falling from about 54% at Wednesday's close to about 33% by Friday morning. And we're seeing that geopolitical tensions are remaining high after Biden's visit to Israel. U.S. President Biden visited Israel on Wednesday, but his plan to hold a summit with Arab leaders was derailed after regional protests erupted in the wake of disputed reports that Israel attacked a hospital in Gaza. U.S. and Israeli intelligence point to the blast being caused by a misfired missile launched from Gaza towards Israel. Israel has yet to start its promised ground offensive on Hamas strongholds in Gaza City, though. According to reports, during his visit, Biden privately backed the plans of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to press ahead with the campaign. Armed shipments from the United States began to arrive in Israel this week. Egypt has also agreed to open its border crisis with the Gaza Strip to allow 20 truckloads of humanitarian aid to reach Palestinians. Iran called for an oil embargo against Israel over its airstrikes in Gaza. 
And on Thursday, the U.S. Navy destroyer intercepted three missiles fired from Yemen along with a swarm of drones. It is believed that the missiles targeted Israel. In a Thursday evening public address, Biden asked the U.S. Congress to appropriate $100 billion to aid Ukraine and Israel, among other appropriations. But because lawmakers still have not elected a new Speaker of the House of Representatives, no new legislation can yet be enacted. Amid the regional turmoil, gold has proven to be the best performer among the traditional safe havens along with the Swiss franc. Oil is firmer within recent ranges, though below its late September highs. U.S. Treasuries have given back the gains that came in the days after the attacks on Israel began, posting new multi-year high yields late in the week. And China's economy shows signs of bottoming. China's third-quarter growth rate beat economic forecasts after several incremental rounds of fiscal and monetary stimulus. GDP rose 4.9% year-over-year, better than the 4.5% consensus forecast, but slower than the 6.6% pace recorded in the second quarter. Industrial production rose 4.5% from a year ago, slightly exceeding forecasts, with retail sales rose 5.5%, beating the 4.9% estimate. However, property investment plunged 9.1% year-over-year. Residential property sales fell 3.2%. Overall, the data showed marginal improvement in the world's second-largest economy. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We're going to be right back. A change of season is a beautiful thing, but you've got to be comfortable to really enjoy it. Hi, Joe T. And for my friends at West Mechanical, Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electrical. Your furnace is back in action as temperatures have cooled down, and now is the time to have it checked by the pros at West Mechanical. An annual tune-up is essential to keep your equipment running as efficiently and as long as possible, but heating systems don't last forever, and it might be time to consider an upgrade. That could be a new ductless system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. The beauty of an efficient ductless system is that it both heats and cools your home, the perfect solution for year-round comfort. And right now, you can save $1,000 on the installation of a new Mitsubishi electric system from West Mechanical. They're the pros I rely on, and they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So whether you're looking to keep your current system running its best, or want to see options on a new way to keep warm and cool, contact West Mechanical today at westmechanical.net. The biggest shopping event of the year is happening at DeWard & Bodie on November 2nd. And if you're listening... You're invited. Celebrate the fourth annual Black Friday Early Access Shopping Event Thursday, November 2nd at DeWard and Bodie's Meridian Showroom. Enjoy gourmet food from professional chefs, craft beer and wine, enter to win incredible prize giveaways, and get exclusive early access to Black Friday deals. Reserve your free tickets right now on DeWard and Bodie's website or Facebook page. KGMI has been the voice of our community for over 90 years, presenting the news and information that matters here while also offering you the chance to have your voice heard. And that commitment continues. Start your day with the KGMI Morning News with Deanna Harrelock from 6 to 9. And don't miss your chance to voice your opinion on the news of the day with Joe Tian on KGMI Connects each weekday at 4. KGMI is your news talk station. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. 
Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's out next to Wilson's Furniture in the Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. Okay, let's continue on with our quick hits from around the globe this week. We saw that Bloomberg reports that bond market volatility exceeds stock market volatility by the widest margin in at least 18 years. We also see that the Wall Street Journal quarterly survey of economists shows that the economists expect the U.S. to skirt a recession. The Fed should halt interest rate hikes, and inflation is continuing to fall. And the International Monetary Fund has warned China that it risks Japanization, potentially resulting in low growth and deflation as a result of its bursting of its property bubble. The IMF urged China to restructure distressed property developers and support highly indebted local governments. This week, the U.S. eased oil sanctions against Venezuela in exchange for the government of President Maduro's lifting bans on opposition presidential candidates and releasing political prisoners and wrongfully detained Americans. And we saw that U.S. retail sales rose eight-tenths of one percent in September. August sales revised up to eight-tenths of one percent from 0.6 percent. Core sales rose six-tenths of one percent, greatly exceeding expectations and helping fuel the continued rise in U.S. Treasury yields. And U.S. mortgage applications hit a 28-year low this week as mortgage rates continued to rise. Sentiment among U.S. home builders fell in October, while existing home sales dropped to their lowest level since 2010. Inflation in the United Kingdom appears sticky, hovering near 6.7% for the third month in a row. However, wage growth appears to be peaking, which will likely keep the Bank of England on the sidelines. And boosted by government transfer payments and rising stock and home prices, U.S. inflation-adjusted household net worth climbed 37% from 2019 to 2022. That's the largest ever increase since the Fed Triennial Survey of Consumer Finance began in 1989. Chinese President Xi Jinping hailed his deep friendship with Russian President Vladimir Putin as the two leaders met in Beijing to reaffirm their close partnership. This week, U.S. jobless claims fell below 200,000 for the first time since January, descending to 198,000. It's another sign that the U.S. is likely to avoid near-term recession. And the conference board's index of leading economic indicators fell 7 tenths of 1% in September. It's the 18th consecutive monthly drop. In earnings news, with just over 17% of the constituents of the S&P 500 index having reported for the third quarter at 23, blended earnings saw shares which combined reported dating with estimated for those yet to report shows that earnings declined 6 tenths of 1% compared with the same quarter a year ago, according to data from FactSet. Sales growth has risen less than 2% year over year. And looking at more detail on some of this week's economic reports, we're going to start out with the September retail sales report. We had a very strong report on consumers, with retail sales increasing 7 tenths of 1%, easily beating consensus expected gain of 3 tenths. If you factor in revisions to previous months, 
retail sales grew an even faster 1%. Sales rose in eight of the 13 major categories for the month led by autos, which increased 1%, followed by sales at non-store retailers, internet and mail order, and restaurants and bars, Core sales, which exclude volatile categories such as autos, building materials, and gas stations, crucial for estimating GDP, increased by seven-tenths of one percent in September, were revised upward for the previous months. These sales were up amid a 7.1% annual rate in the third quarter compared to the second quarter average. This is consistent with our view that real GDP growth will be unusually strong in the third quarter before decelerating rapidly late this year. Consumers are starting to run out of excess COVID savings, which were boosted by temporary and artificial government stimulus payment. Over the past 12 months, overall retail sales have risen by 3.8%, basically matching inflation, indicating only a slight increase in real retail sales. While retail sales boomed and hit another record high this month, real retail sales peaked back in April of 22 have since declined by 2.1% from that peak. Our view remains that the tightening in the monetary policy since last year will eventually lead to at least a minor recession. Expect more deterioration in retail sales later on this year. And talking about housing earlier, the September Housing Starts report. Housing Starts rebounded in September as home builders wrestle with all kinds of headwinds, crosswinds, and tailwinds. Looking at the big picture during COVID, a combination of extremely low interest rates and pressure to work from home led to big migration to the suburbs and beyond, with high demand for single-family homes. Then the economy reopened, causing many people to flock back to cities, sparking a boom in apartment projects. Currently, the number of multi-unit properties under construction is hovering near record levels, going back to 1970s when the records began. But now it looks like the move back to the cities has petered out, leaving a glut of apartments. Meanwhile, owners of existing homes are hesitant to list their properties and give up fixed sub-3% mortgages, as many prospective buyers have turned to new builds as their best option. This has created a huge gap in data, with construction of single-family homes up 8.6% in the last year. Multifamily activity is down 31.4%. Looking at the details in the report, the rebound in starts was driven by both single-family and multi-unit starts, with three of four major regions contributing. Housing permits fell for the first time in three months, driven entirely by multi-units, which declined to 14.3%. Meanwhile, single-family permits rose again in September, have done so every month since February, signaling that developers are finally starting to find their footing in what has been a challenging year of sales. It's also important to remember that lots of projects are already in the pipeline. At present, the number of homes under construction is hovering near the highest level on record back to 1970. And while we don't see housing as a driver of economic growth in the year ahead, we also aren't worried about a housing bust. And September's existing home sales report came out, and it fell for the fourth consecutive month in September, hitting the slowest pace since aftermath of the 0809 financial crisis. The housing market is facing a series of headwinds, some of them temporary. The first and most significant has been the recent surge in benchmark interest rates like the 10-year Treasury yield. This is translated into 30-year fixed mortgage rates as well, which are currently hovering near 8% for the first time in more than two decades. Assuming a 20% down payment, the rise in mortgage rates since the Federal Reserve 
began its current tightening cycle in March of 22 amounts to a 40% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the median existing home. Eventually, the housing market can adapt to these increases, but each surge in rates likely will be experienced lately leads to some indigestion. In addition, many existing homeowners are reluctant to sell due to the mortgage lock-in phenomenon after buying or refinancing at much lower rates before 22. That should limit future existing sales and inventories. Case in point, the month's supply of homes, which is how long it would take to sell existing inventory at the current very low sales pace, was 3.4 in September, which is well below the benchmark of 5 that the National Association of Realtors uses to denote a normal market. A tight inventory of existing homes means that while the pace of sales may resemble 2008, we aren't seeing that translate into a big decline in prices. In fact, home prices appear to be rising again, although modestly, with the median price of an existing home up 2.8% from a year ago. Well, that's a big difference from that 20% boost that I just saw the assessor here in Whatcom County throw on my house. It's ridiculous. But finally, a weakening economy in which the Federal Reserve doesn't act quickly to cut rates because of high inflation could be a headwind for home sales next year. Adding this all together, expect sales and prices to drag up in the year ahead with no persistent recovery in existing home sales until at least 2023 or early 24. In employment news, initial claims for jobless benefits fell 13,000 last week to 198,000. Meanwhile, continuing claims rose 29,000 to 1.734 million. These figures suggest that continued growth in employment in October. Finally, on the factory front, the Philadelphia Fed Index, which measures manufacturing sentiment in that region, rose to a still weak reading of minus 9 in October from minus 13.5 in September. The region is home to autos parts manufacturers who are likely affected by the UAW strike. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back after a quick break. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Every day, KGMI brings you the latest news and information, and we also give you a chance to express your opinion on a major news story of the day. Go to KGMI.com anytime and take part in our daily news poll to see what others are thinking and add your voice. We'll have an update during the KGMI afternoon news, and we'll give you a final tally and a new question each day during the KGMI morning news. Be part of the conversation with the KGMI daily news poll, another informative and free feature from KGMI. Hey, you're up next. Ugh, my throat hurts so bad. There's no way I can sing tonight. Here, try these. Vicks Cool Drops. Yeah, Vicks Cool Drops has maximum strength menthol with a rush of Vicks Vapors. Ooh, I can already feel it. I told you. So, you ready? I'm ready. Please welcome to the stage. Vaporize sore throat pain fast with Vicks Cool Drops. Major phone carriers make you sign contracts with rigid data plans to trap you into a kind of forced phonogamy. Sounds pretty insecure if you ask me. At Consumer Cellular, we believe in a more consensual and healthy form of phonogamy, free of contracts and more flexible to your data needs. 
This way, you stick around not because we force you to with contracts and fees, but because you love our phone plans. Like ardently love our phone plans. Phonogamously. Consumer Cellular. When Freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Hi, it's Scott from Northwest Sleep Solution in Fairhaven. You know, I've sold mattresses in Bellingham and Whatcom County for a lot of years now. And I got a call from a lady the other day that was asking about our selection. She wanted one of these memory foam beds in a box you can get online. And we don't carry that. And she says, well, how do you have the best selection? So I explained to her the best selection often means not only what you do carry, but what you don't carry as well. And so at Northwest Sleep, rather than memory foam, we carry Tempur-Pedic as the highest rated mattress on the planet. Rather than some of the generic coil beds out on the market, we carry Beautyrest, the invented of the pocket of coil. We carry things that we believe in and we don't carry things we don't. So come see us at Northwest Sleep Solutions on the corner of 10th and McKenzie in Fairhaven. Honey, look what I brought home. Not a cat. You know I'm allergic. Well, you know what they say. When the cat's away, the mice will play. (laughs) Why didn't you just call Biobug? Have you had enough of playing cat and mouse? Biobug Pest Management is here to help. Whether you have rats or mice in your business, residence, or commercial building, Biobug is committed to providing a solution that's right for you. To learn more and get your free quote, visit Biobug.com. Biobug Pest Management. Service you trust, experience you expect. Now hiring service techs. Don't put your golf clubs in the closet this winter. Take them to Volley Entertainment and Sports Bar in Bellingham. And this Thursday with PNW Perks, you can check out Volley for half the price. Virtually play some of the world's best golf courses with Volley's state-of-the-art golf simulator, and the whole family can have fun with their brand-new blackout mini-golf nine-hole course. Volley Entertainment Center and Sports Bar is adding more entertainment than ever. Blacklight miniature golf, pickleball, cornhole, ping-pong, pool, shuffleboard, a state-of-the-art golf simulator. Plus, there are TV screens all over Volley. Enjoy the 16 taps of local craft beer and snack on their great bar food. Plus, you can book your birthday or workplace holiday party at Volley. This Thursday with PNW Perks, you can get an hour on the golf simulator for two, plus a round of blackout mini golf for two, and you'll get it all for half the price. Head to pnwperks.com this Thursday at 8 a.m. to get in on the fun. Check them out in Bellingham or online at volleybellingham.com. Did you know you can call or go online for small business advice? SCORE, Mentors to America Small Business, is the best source of free and confidential small business advice to help you build your business from idea to startup to success. SCORE volunteer mentors work with you to help you start a small business or take your existing business to new heights. If you would like free face-to-face mentoring to answer your business questions, contact a local SCORE mentor by visiting SCORE.org and then set your location to Bellingham. It's that simple. That's SCORE.org. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. Find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com.
Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Downey here with you this Sunday morning here with KGMI. Going to finish our economic reports for the week with the September Industrial Production and Capacity Utilization Report. An industrial production surprised to the upside in September, driven by broad-based gains across nearly every major category. Notably, industrial activity has been accelerating recently, rising at a 5.2% annualized pace in the past three months versus just a 1.8% annualized rate during the past six months and a tenth of 1% in the last year. The largest subcomponent, which is manufacturing activity, rose four-tenths of 1% in September. Looking at details, both auto and non-auto manufacturing contributed rising four-tenths of 1% and three-tenths of 1% respectively. Meanwhile, output in the mining sector increased four-tenths of 1% in September. A faster pace of oil and other mineral extraction more than offset a decline in the production of natural gas. With new geopolitical concerns in the Middle East, West Texas intermediate crude oil recently surged back above $85 to $90 a barrel. We expect mining to continue to be a tailwind for industrial production in the near term. Meanwhile, the utility sector, which is volatile and largely dependent on weather, was one of the major sources of weaknesses in September, boasting a decline of four-tenths of one percent. And while welcome news for us now, we expect industrial production to soon weaken due to the lagged effect of a tighter money. In other recent factory news, the Empire State Index, which is a measure of New York factory sentiment, fell minus 4.6% in October from a positive 1.9% in September. And finally, the NHAB Housing Index, which is a measure of home builder sentiment, fell to 40 in October from 44 in September. This is the third consecutive decline. It coincides with a recent jump in mortgage rates. An index reading below 50 signals that a greater number of builders view conditions as poor versus good. Gunner, I talked out yesterday a little bit again about the increase in Medicare or Social Security payments for this next year. Well, we also got the report out this week on what's going to happen with your Medicare Part A and B premiums for 2024, and what about the deductibles and coinsurance amounts? And the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or what we call CMS, released the 24 premiums, deductibles, and coinsurance amounts in the Medicare Part A and B programs, and the 24 Medicare Part D income-related monthly adjustment amounts. Medicare Savings Programs, or MSPs, help more than 10 million people with coverage of Medicare premiums. In most cases, other cost-sharing is continued in its continued efforts to improve access to health care and lower costs for millions of Americans. The Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, through CMS, recently finalized a rule to streamline enrollment in medical savings plans, or Medicare savings plans, making coverage more affordable for an estimated 860,000 people. In addition, the Part D Low Income Subsidy, or LIS, helps pay for the Part D premium and lowers the cost of prescription drugs. Anyway, Medicare Part B premium and deductible. Let's talk about that. Medicare Part B covers physician services, outpatient hospital services, certain home health services, durable medical equipment, and certain other medical and health care services not covered by Medicare Part A. Each year, the Part B premium, deductible, and coinsurance rates are determined according to provisions in the Social Security Act. 
The standard monthly premium for Part B enrollees next year will be $140.70. That, of course, is deducted from your Social Security check. That is an increase of $9.80 from this year, where it was $164.90. The annual deductible for all Medicare Part B beneficiaries is going to be $240 in 2024. In other words, you're going to pay $240 deductible when you first go out and get medical care. That's an increase of $14 from the annual deductible of $226 this year. The increase in the 2024 Part B standard premium and deductible is mainly due to projected increases in health care spending and to a lesser degree the remedy of the 340B acquired drug payment policy of the 2018 to 22 period under the hospital outpatient prospective payment system. Figure that one out. Go ahead. Anyway, Beginning in 2023, individuals whose full Medicare coverage ended 36 months after a kidney transplant and who do not have certain other types of insurance coverage can elect to continue Part B coverage of their immunosuppressive drugs by paying a premium. For 2024, that premium is $103 a month. Then we have the Medicare Part B income-related monthly adjustments. That's for people that earn over and above certain amounts of money. Since 2007, a beneficiary's Part B premium has been based on her income, his or her income. Those income-related monthly adjustments affect roughly 8% of the people with Medicare Part B. The 2024 total premiums for high-income beneficials with a full Part B coverage are according to the following table. If you earn, and I'm going to do this a joint return, if you earn less than $206,000, now a single would be half that or $103,000, you do not have any income-related adjustment. However, if your income is between $206,000 and $258,000 or $103,000 and $229,000 if you're single, you're going to have a $69.90 adjustment or say roughly $70 a month more that you're going to pay for your Part B coverage. If your income is greater than $258,000, but less than 322, you're going to pay almost $175 a month more. And if your income is greater than 322, but less than 386,000, you're going to pay almost $280 more. And then there's one more bracket above that, $380 a month. The 2024 Part B premiums for beneficiaries are, of course, are higher. Then you got the Medicare Part A premium and deductible. Medicare Part A covers your hospital, that's inpatient, skilled nursing facilities, hospice, inpatient rehab, and some health care services, home health care. About 99% of Medicare beneficiaries do not have a Part A premium since they are at least have at least 40 quarters. So if you had 40 quarters of Medicare-covered employment as determined by Social Security, you do not have any excess premiums. But a medical Part A inpatient hospital deductible for beneficiaries for less than that 40 quarters, which would be basically 10 years under Social Security, if they're admitted to the hospital, they're going to have a $1,632 deductible. That's an increase of $32 from this year. And the Part A inpatient hospital deductible recovered beneficiary share of costs for the first 60 days of Medicare-covered inpatient hospital care. In 2024, beneficiaries must pay a coinsurance amount of $408 a day from the 61st to the 90th day of hospitalization. That was $400 this year, and a benefit period and $816 per day for lifetime reserves, of which this year was over $800 in 2023. 
For beneficiaries in skilled nursing facilities, the daily co-insurance for days 21 through 100 of extended care services in a benefit period for, will be $204.24 into this year versus 200 last year. Enrollees age 65 or older who have fewer than 40 quarters of coverage and certain persons with disabilities may pay a monthly premium in order to voluntarily enroll in Part A. Individuals who have at least 30 quarters of coverage or are married to someone with less than 30 may buy Part A for a reduced monthly rate of $278. That's for this year. Certain uh, uninsured aged individuals who have less than 30 quarters of coverage and certain individuals with disabilities who have exhausted their entitlement will pay the full premium, which will be $505 a month in 2024. That's a dollar more than it was this month. Then you got Medicare Part D, which is the income-related monthly adjustments for your prescription drug plans. Since 2011, a beneficiary's Part D monthly premium has been based on his or her income. These income-related monthly adjustments amount to roughly 8% of the people. The income-related monthly adjustments affect about 8% of Medicare Part D people. Those individuals who pay the income-related monthly adjustment amount to addition of Part D premium. They vary regardless of how the beneficiary pays their Part D. The Part D income-related monthly adjustment amounts are deducted from Social Security benefit checks paid directly to Medicare. About two-thirds of beneficiaries pay premiums directly to the plan, while the remainder of the premiums are deducted from their Social Security benefit. 2024, income-related monthly adjustment amounts for high-income earners in the table. Again, those go up as you made more money, and so much like uh, the Part B premiums or amounts that you have to pay, which are also adjusted for income, same basic type of program, same basic type of principles. So, Anyway, they've come out with their numbers. Not a huge increase for 2024. Not like we had a couple of years ago, so probably manageable in most cases. So I'm going to go ahead and here and answer one quick IRA question I had that I was carrying around with me. The question was, I bought Ed Slot's book, The New Retirement Savings Time Bomb. And we've got some copies of that here at the office if somebody would like one. And I earned too much money and can't do a Roth IRA. Want to save more than the traditional IRA allows. I know the book discussed the back door. That's for those who earn more than the allowable contribution for a Roth IRA. So in other words, if you earn too much, you can't put money in a Roth. There is what we call a backdoor Roth IRA. And what you can do is you contribute to a traditional IRA, and then you roll that over into a Roth IRA. And this works especially well for people who do not have an existing IRA. So the question was, can this backdoor analysis be used for a sole proprietor with no employees by contributing to a SEP IRA and then rolling over to a Roth IRA. It seems like a loophole, thanks in advance. So the answer on this is a SEP IRA can be converted to a Roth at any time. There are no income limits on conversions as there are for Roth contributions. There would be nothing that would prevent a sole proprietor from making a SEP contribution and then converting those funds to a Roth IRA. So if you are self-employed, you want to go out there and set up what we call a Simplified Employee Pension Plan, or SEP. You can contribute to that and then turn right back around and convert it to a Roth IRA and have it grow tax-free from that time forward. So one of those questions we get, a little variation. We'll talk about a few more questions we get here in this next segment. Thanks for listening. I'll be right back. 
another D&D insurance commercial? Ah, and yes, it's that time of year again. If you're in the age bracket of Medicare or you're helping a parent who happens to be on Medicare, this is when you listen to the whole commercial. The annual election period starts October 15th and it runs through December 7th. You should be receiving your annual notice of change from your existing carrier. Pay attention because those changes are right there in the book. And of course, if it feels like you're reading a different language when you look at it, that's what we're here for. Hi, I'm Derek from D&D Insurance. Our staff takes the mud out of the healthcare waters and explains it clearly so that you can make an informed decision. Bring in that book this year and let us help. We're located across the street from Industrial Credit Union in the Ferndale Market Center. You'll see us sandwiched between the auto licensing and downtime taps. Or give us a call at 392-8159. We look forward to seeing you here at DND Insurance. If you were to lie awake each night wondering, are the kids and I safe here tonight? If you were forced to choose between feeding your family or covering your rent, what would you do and who would you call on? Right now, more and more Whatcom County families are faced with these questions every single day. Become a housing hero and help Lydia Place break the cycle of homelessness and poverty for families in Whatcom County. The need is more critical than ever, with more than 100 families on the housing wait list. These families are our neighbors, our friends, and our community members. You can help. A monthly donation of just $5 can provide safe housing, mental health counseling, and parenting support to Whatcom families experiencing homelessness. Because we know that investing in families is the best way to break the generational cycle for this generation and the next. Please don't wait any longer. Sign up to be a housing hero today at LydiaPlace.org donate or text Lydia to 26989 to make an impact. Because it will take a community to end family homelessness. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. Again, as always, if you got questions for me, give me a call. 360-733-1200. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about big government and how they're creating some economic messes and what we think could fix it. You know, it's been no secret that America, Germany, Austria, and Europe in general are currently confronted with major economic problems. All are experiencing inflation and minimal economic growth. Purchasing power is decreasing. The balances on accounts and savings books of average citizens are dwindling. The problem started long ago and are political in nature. The latest news also shows that political decisions attempting to quickly improve such situations can create even bigger problems in the median or long term. Take a look at some lessons from Germany. Maybe we can hold those lessons here in America. In Germany, it's known for its high savings country, is now entering a wave of de-saving. Between 10 and 15% of bank customers have overdrawn their accounts. 40% of Germans say that they have had to draw assets in the past year, and the third say they are no longer able to save for retirement as they used to. The savings rate has fallen to 11.3 from 11.3% down to 10.6%. Of course, this hurts harder for those with real wages have fallen since 2019 and the middle class, which has had to spend more to maintain its existing living standards in the face of inflation. This is not yet an oppressive problem, but should cause concern with regard to German citizens' future financial independence, and Americans as well. 
The second news item concerns the German government's response to what the loss of purchasing power was meant for the weakness in society. The citizen's basic income, which is a basic guaranteed income for the unemployed, is set to rise by 12% to 563 euros per month, irrespective of rent and heating costs, subsidies, or other transfers citizens already receive from their government. This support, while politically helpful, creates a dangerous imbalance that could have a fatal effect on the economy. If the amount that citizens' basic income de facto equals or even exceeds a possible earned income, this could not only lead to false incentives to not seek work, it could actually lead to social tensions. After all, as calculations show, an unemployed citizen's basic income recipient will henceforth have almost the same amount of income as a low-income earner with a job. We've heard talk about doing that here in the U.S., so that's one reason I'm talking about this. Former economist and West German Chancellor Ludwig Erhard's social market economy policy enabled Germans to create property and private wealth after World War II. At the beginning of the 2000s, with the introduction of low interest rate policy, a downward spiral began, reinforced by negative interest rate policies and the so-called unconventional monetary policy in the European and other central banks. In 2008, the worldwide financial crisis brought enormous national debts to light. Small and medium-sized enterprises, which shoulder the burden of taxes and duties with their employees, were further restricted by high taxes and regulations. COVID-19 policies, with their disastrous lockdowns and home office regulations, put additional burdens on labor and business location. They also brought another imbalance to light. Large corporations like Amazon had an enormous advantage in distorted competition, therefore made huge profits at the expense of the stagnating European economy. This was because money for private consumption was distributed by government generously and with little targeting. And now another burden is to become borne by the German taxpayer. That's skyrocketing energy prices, which are due to be centrally managed or green energy transition with the irrational phase-out, in this case, of nuclear power in Germany and Western Europe in general. The political response, however, amounts to the same solution as is turned the millennium printing money. Once again, policymakers are relying on an illusion of economic growth. In reality, however, this path must lead to economic upheaval or collapse with sharply rising prices. This is always the case when the central bank becomes too active. Anyone with artificially triggers a boom by printing money will also cause a crash. Politicians in Europe and America want to improve people's well-being, but this requires foresight and courage to completely rethink and build, break new ground. More on the above measures are not the solution, and certainly not the solution that I think is best for all of us. Okay, get a lot of questions. Why had one on Social Security? Is it true that seniors who pay are age 65 or older and earn less than a certain amount if they're not required to pay Social Security tax on their earnings? Well, basically, seniors who are age 65 or older and earn less than a certain amount may not be required to pay Social Security tax on their earnings. Social Security earnings are often exempt from federal income taxes if you file as an individual or your Social Security and other earnings are less than $25,000 a year. You may not have to pay federal income taxes. If your Social Security and other earnings are between $25,000 and $34,000, you only have to pay income tax on half your benefits. However, this exemption from Social Security tax is different from the requirement to file a tax return. 
The IRS typically requires that you file a return when your gross income exceeds the standard deduction in your filing status. So it's important for you to pay attention to what your individual filing status is, but unmarried seniors who typically need to file a return if they're at least 65 years or more, it's important to note that state tax rules vary, but if you if your income is more than your standard deduction, yes, you do need to file a return. And another question came about access to Roth IRA funds. And the rules for withdrawing from a Roth IRA can be confusing, especially if you've made contributions over multiple years. Put a breakdown on Roth IRA withdrawal rules, so you also know when you can access money without paying taxes or penalties on it. So basically the question that came in was, I opened a Roth in 2020. I have since put money in the Roth in 21, 22, and 23. I understand you have to wait five years before you can begin withdrawing without any taxes, principal, and gains. Based on this, I can take out my 2020 money or in 25, correct? When can I draw my 21 money? 2025 also is at five years from when money went into the account. So the 21 I can withdraw in 26, 22, and 27, and so on. Or is all this money available for withdrawal beginning in 2025? Relatively simple answer here. And this is some reason, if you don't have a Roth IRA, I don't care how old you are, go down and open one up. Put 100 bucks. Go down to your bank and open up a Roth. Put 100 bucks. Just put 100 bucks in a Roth IRA. Because you receive the earnings on all of your Roth contributions tax-free once you satisfy a five-year holding period. And if you're over age 59 and a half, the five-year period starts on January 1st of the year that you first buy any Roth IRA. That's when you first fund an IRA. So put $100 in, you're 19 years old. Five years from now, you can draw that money out without paying taxes on it. You would have to pay the 10% penalty. If you're over 59 and a half, you also don't have to have the 10% penalty. In this case, to answer this question, since they opened their first Roth in 2020, that five-year period ends on 12-31-24. So all the Roth funds that are available tax-free starting in 2025, and since in this case they're over 59 and a half, they also would not have to pay a penalty. So an important planning thing to keep in mind. And I also get a lot of questions. You know, I am part of the Get Slotmaster Elite Group, a charter member. In fact, we've got a class here for two days here, the first week in September. We present two days, twice a year, just keeping up to date on what's happening. Here are 10 IRA work plan confusions with answers. And number one, we have QCDs, that's Qualified Charitable Distributions. You can do a Qualified Charitable addition for more than what your RMD is required or required minimum distribution for that year, but you can't take a distribution and then retroactively deem it QCD. So if you're going to do Qualified Charitable donations, you have to take it out of the IRA, pay it to the charity before you do your RMD. Also, if you've already taken out your RMD, you can still do a QCD. It's just an excess distribution over and above what you already took. So if you're going to do charitable donations, great way to do it because you can't itemize. It doesn't do you any good. We do a ton of QCDs. I think we've got something like 90 households or something that we process QCDs, many of them monthly. And if you participate in multiple work plans, like a 401k or a simple, yes, you can max out multiple work plans if you work at different companies. But you are bound by the annual elective deferral limits aggregated across all plans. So there's a maximum you can put in, but if you work for more than one employer, you can do that. Now, there's a phase-out of IRA deductibility. Even if you make a million dollars in salary, you can potentially deduct an IRA contribution. It depends if you're covered by work plan or not. If you're not, you can still deduct it. 
rolling over a Roth 401k into a Roth IRA. So many variables, how old you are, how long it's going to have the Roth 401k, do you have a Roth IRA, and when was that Roth IRA started? And a question about inherited IRAs, do annual RMDs apply or not? And an eligible designated beneficiary or EDB must, can take stretch payments from the inherited Roth. However, a non-eligible designated beneficiary, which is typically a non-spouse of a Roth IRA, will not have RMDs within the 10-year rule. And pro rata backdoor Roth. Holy cow, I just talked about this for a minute ago. You cannot cherry pick after the tax dollars in your IRA and only convert those. The IRS looks at all your IRAs, your SEPs, your simple plans as one big bucket of money. The ratio of after tax, so if you've got regular IRAs, backdoor sounds good. Be careful with that one. Not more than 10 years younger. Uh, this group is often completely overlooked. Something to think about. If somebody's more than 10 years younger, use a different table for your distributions. Roth IRA distribution ordering rules. Contributions come out first. Converted dollars come out second. Earnings come out last. And rules when trust or estate is named a beneficiary. Where do you begin? Trust or estate is an IRA beneficiary. You do not get automatically set up inherited IRAs for the trust or beneficiary IRAs, although the custodian may allow it based on previous private letter rulings. And the number one most popular confusion we have is Roth IRA five-year clocks. Talked about that one already. Not going to repeat what I said a few minutes ago. Nick Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake up here on KGMI. Give us a call, 360-733-1200. Don't forget, check in, listen to our live show next Saturday at 11 o'clock. Thanks and have a great week. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.